This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 204 and DGS. Huge day in competition. Can anyone tell me what it is? I bought the golden cod for the oh. DGS Catholic Fish Smackdown 2024. It's the biggest trophy we've ever had. It's really cool looking. It's pretty cool. Is it in the office? No, it's ordered. Oh, it's ordered. I see. It's ordered. It's really funny, too, because I bought it uh, online, and they're like, tell us what you'd like us to engrave. So I put down 2024 DGS Catholic Fish Smackdown champion. (laughs) And the guy wrote back, and he's like, I just need to make sure... (laughs) Is this what you want me to write on the trophy? Yeah. And I'm like, uh, yes, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> and a dome. Next, and, year uh, a, next year we should do a big mouth Billy Bass that sings. We've done that. Have we? Yeah, we've done that. Yeah. The second biggest uh, competition story is it's reporting day. Yeah, this is the day. It becomes official now. Baseball season's underway. The Cardinals and, and everybody. But the Padres and Dodgers actually reported like five or six days ago because mm-hmm. They're opening the season a week early in Korea, so they oh, have cool. a yeah they have a series in in, in Seoul I think um, that's they have like they're building in like an extra week for them to return Which and do is all that bigger and better Korean baseball or Jap- Japanese? Japanese baseball is the best one like the NPB is the best non major league professional baseball league in the world. Um, there's a secondary league in in uh, Japan that's good, and then I think the, the the league in Korea is probably between those two. So it's not quite the, the top league in Japan, but it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, those the, their best players come over here and so, could be regulars. Um, they're not as good as us for similar reasons to why we're not as good as Europe in soccer? Probably. But it's, some of it's also just uh, the logistics of, like, space and population. Like, I don't think – what's Japan's population? I don't know. I gotta look that up because I. <laughs> what the hell you mean you don't know? I don't. I. I don't know why I looked at Rage. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> okay, so their population. She's going back this afternoon. Look, here's this. This is the biggest part of it. It is population, right? So it's they're about the one third the size of the United States in population. Yeah. So when you don't have as many people, you're not going to have sure. as many of any. Is it any their biggest sport? Uh, I think so, yeah. Rage? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go. I, I, it's the biggest team sport. I mean, they, they do play soccer. They you know they play basketball. Um, obviously, Rach and uh, you guys went to see sumo. Sumo mm. is probably the biggest traditional sport. But of the team sports, baseball. I need to hear more about that, too. Yeah. On the show, we'll talk like about Japan that. Japan loves baseball. They, yeah. that is it, that is, you, you could argue that the sports fans there are baseball crazy. Hmm. And they, you know, like, 
they're, the, you'll see, like, for example, with, with Shohei Otani being with the Dodgers. Dodgers games will all be on TV in Japan yeah. every day. Yeah. And if you you don't even, if you, I don't know if you remember, like, Sotoguchi, you remember when he was a Cardinal? Sure. Like, he had his own guy assigned to him. Let me ask you this. Like, his own reporter from Japan just covering when, his career. When the Dodgers made their deal, uh-huh. and I remember you were just like, yeah, best deal anyone's ever going to make. Would any team have been smart to make that deal? Would the DeWitts have been smart to go out and borrow whatever money they had to, to borrow to, to pay Otani? I think so. But again, we, we all know that the part of this that we you can't control is where the player wants to live and where they want to be. Right. But for that, and it's so much money, right? I mean, it's $70 million. But the, the opportunities that it creates for marketing in a whole other country with 125 million people in population yeah. that loves baseball, yeah. that's the hidden part of what we think of, right? Okay. Like the Dodgers already sell the most tickets in baseball. They're not going to sell that many more tickets, right? but they're going to get big TV rights. They're going to have all these other deals, not to mention team sponsorships and marketing deals that'll become be, po- be possible because yeah. he's there. So for those of us like me who have never been to spring training, like paint us a picture of the next couple of days. So the next couple of days, if you, unless you're a nerd, they're probably pretty boring, right? I mean, the today is just pitchers all come in, pitchers and catchers come in, they report, they have a physical, they have little things like that. And then tomorrow's the first day of workouts. So the next few days, you'll see a lot of bullpens. That's like the most exciting thing is the pitchers will be lined up in, you know, the bullpen that's like four or five mounds wide mm-hmm. and you get, a you know, your first look, they'll do some things. They call it PFP. So it's pitchers fielding practice. They'll be on the backfields practicing uh, bunt yeah. defenses and things like that. So there aren't that many catchers. Is it like oh, there double are. A, triple A? Uh, everybody. Yeah. Everybody's there. <laughs> If you're a catcher, I wouldn't say this way, but mo- a lot of the catchers in the organization are there early because there are so many pitchers. Yes. And then as they send out pitchers, the catchers all go back to minor league camp. So, Aww. yeah, they probably have <laughs> made me sad. They probably have like 8, 9, 10 catchers that'll be there for the first this first week, week yeah. and a half, two weeks. Um, you so it's a lot of bullpens. There's a lot of now there don't get don't get me wrong here. There are a lot of position players there. Like they'll be in the cages, but they're just not doing organized things. They'll be off Hitting in the cages, they'll be taking fly balls on their yeah. own and things like that. So uh, Mason Wynn, obviously, it's it's his position to lose, so he's not a good example. But how often does someone come up from AAA or even like a Double A catcher and really catch on? I mean, it's not every year, but it happens. I mean, that was Albert. Was it real? Albert was not I supposed. I guess I don't know Albert's story. Yeah, I mean, he was not supposed to be a major league player in that first spring, but he was so good. And they were like, man, we're, how did I mean, they miss it? Well, it, it's not about miss. It was just so early in his in his development. Like he was in a ball the year before, and you don't really anticipate somebody coming into major league camp and just dominating to that level. I mean, you guys might remember he played left field. He played some third base, I think. I mean, like they were like trying to find a way to get him in the lineup because that's how good he was. And that injury to Bobby Bonilla is kind of what opened the door for him mm-hmm. to be there. But so it happens like that. I mean, you'll you'll get those guys that nobody expects to make the team, but they're so good they force it. And if you're looking for a guy that could do that this year, uh, I would be, be a guy named Victor Scott, who uh, stole a hundred bases in the minor leagues last year, uh, won won the Gold Glove for minor league outfielders. Like he was the best minor league center fielder according mm-hmm. to the. How far below his? Uh, how far below our starting outfielders is he? Would you say? Literally right behind them. Like if he, if he, I don't think he'll make the team because but if someone went down, but like say, say Mason Wynn had a terrible spring or got hurt. Tommy Edmond shifts to shortstop. It would not be crazy to think Victor Scott could play center field. Cool. He had a great, how's you know, his bat? Uh, it's all right. It's not, he's not a power guy. 
Um, he's mostly speed, but he hit well last year, and he hit well. I don't, do you know much about the Arizona Fall League? No. It's kind of like the minor league all-star league at the end of the season. So in the fall, a lot of the best minor leaguers go there. It's kind of like uh, baseball people describe it as finishing school for prospects, where you go out to Arizona and you play 20, 30 games, and it's kind of like all the best prospects, so you're getting a good idea of who might be ready, yeah. who might help you, and he was really good out there. What's on the long side of being in AAA? About how long do guys stay before someone taps them on the shoulder? Boy, um, for the people that the team thinks of as top prospects, they won't be in AAA very long. You know, the guys that are there for a long time are typically the in-betweens. The ones that are like, they're, they're older, maybe, you know, mid-20s, late-20s. They might help the major league team, but really not viewed as prospects. Those are the guys that spend a lot of time at AAA. Hmm. Typically, if the team thinks you're a, you're a legitimate prospect, if you're there, it's a very short amount of time, and, and maybe a year at the most. Every team's different, but are the Cardinals pretty honest with their guys that way? Well, I think so. I think I think most teams. Ha- I mean, I think more now than ever, they're going to be straight up with players. Like, listen, this is here's what we expect from you. Here's what you need to be able to do to play in the big leagues. And you can now make a living as a AAA player, but before, really not much. Well, you could always make a good living as a AAA player. Okay. But as the, at the lower levels, okay. you, I mean, you were making like $1,500 a month and only six months out of the year and not getting paid in the offseason and not getting paid for spring training. And they fixed a lot of that. They're all making more money. It's not great, but it's more and at AAA, though, there are a lot of guys, if you're one of those veterans I'm talking about, yeah. the, you know, a veteran, I mean, you know, 28, 29 years old, you could make $100,000 a year to so play at AAA. I know your college career, we've talked a lot about that. Yeah. Had you played more and been drafted and sent to A-ball, would you 100% have gone? Gone where? Gone there, as opposed to... Oh, for uh, sure. No, 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 think... no. If anybody had... If they had said, we we need you to give us $5,000 and then we'll give you a spot, I would have paid the $5,000. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. At that time, there was no way I would have ever not done that. And who was your... Uh, sorry to say roommate, but your... Uh, well, he was apartment mate for a year. Oh, was he really? Yeah, yeah. Who was that? Uh, Charles Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. So he... Uh, four gold gloves... Won a World Series with the Marlins. He was the first Marlins player ever drafted in their expansion year. Hmm. So he was a first-round pick. He was a first-round pick out of high school, too. So he's, like, just a legit and that's the monster. that's you were backing up. He was, yeah, yeah. And more like caddying for. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We I played bet, catch every day. That was my claim to fame. I bet deep down he really just wanted to be Kevin Wheeler. No. No, he was good being Charles Johnson. <laughs> also happened to be, by the way, like, arguably the nicest guy you'd ever know. Yeah. Like legit, hardworking, smart, just yeah. all around best teammate you'd want to have. Okay. Let's go through it all again. All right. We know what happened last year. Yep. Let's talk about this year. Yep. Let's talk about if you want to go position by position, because some of them you can go through really quickly. Yeah. We'll do it simple. Like, I'm not, we're not worrying about the offense very much. The offense should be fine. Before injuries hit last year, they were a top 10 offense. At the, at the end, like September really sucked because Arenado was hurt and Goldschmidt was banged up and, at that, by that time, Donovan had already been put on the injured list. Like they lost a lot. So, but but for like the first five months, they were a top ten offense. The offense is going to be just fine, maybe even better than it was last year. Defensively, they should be better than they were last year. Last year was a disappointment. I think you'll see them bounce back. The bullpen should be better. They have added a lot of depth. They have a lot more options. A lot more guys that miss. That was huge. And that, well, the bullpen stunk last year. Uh, the big question about the bullpen is whether or not Helsley's going to be healthy. If he is. Then you've got a good closer, one of the better closers, I think, in the National League if he's healthy. 
and you've got the depth around him. But the 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 big worry and the thing we're going to have to track basically all year is the rotation. Um, they're veterans. I mean, we all, we all know the names, right? I mean, Sonny Gray was a great addition. I'm not worried about Sonny Gray. He's 34. Not really worried about him. Um, but I think the bigger worry is the reliance on players that are all that age, right? The youngest guy in the rotation is Steven Matz. He turns 33 in May. And that's who Ackerman said he's most worried about. Well, yeah, and he's also the most inconsistent of those five guys for the course of his career because he has a lot of arm problems. What's, what's Matz's game when he's good? I mean, when he's good, he's a strikeout pitcher. He's got, he's, he doesn't go deep into games. That's another knock on him. He's like five innings, you know, a little bit less than six innings to start. Uh, but he's very talented. He can miss bats. He throws pretty hard. But he's a guy that, for his career overall, has yeah. missed a lot of time. Talk a little bit about <clears throat> the video you were showing me yesterday. Oh, my goodness. That was impressive. So it was Tyler Glass now of the Dodgers used to be with the Rays. So I was showing – the video I was showing Dave was it's just off to the side of the catcher view, right? The camera's just behind the catcher to the catcher's left. And it's just to show you the, in, what a hitter is seeing, essentially, right? So Tyler Glass now throws 97, 98 miles an hour with his fastball, and he's got a breaking ball that nobody hits. But this video, it really showed you why, didn't it? Because when you look at the video, they showed a fastball, then they showed a breaking ball, and then they overlaid the two of them so that you could see them at the same time. And what it, could you tell the difference? Not until in the more pitches? than halfway. Yes. So you can't even tell the difference between fastball and curveball until the ball's maybe and 30 feet from home plate. It's how many tenths of a second to get there? So at 97, 98, yeah. you're talking about three tenths of a second. And so it's more than halfway. Yeah, and it, it's it's more than it's probably it's probably two thirds of the way to home so plate. So a tenth of a second, which I don't probably. think is really even possible. No, no, it, and and that's, you have to guess and get lucky. That's kind of the point that the video is making is if you're ever wondering why a hitter looks like an idiot sometimes. It's that when when a guy can throw two pitches that look exactly the same until the very last second, you can't tell you and you do not have time to read the pitch, you know, because some guys like and this is why he's different, though. He's a bit of a unicorn because most people who throw a curveball have a tell. You can see it out of the hand. It's got a little hump at the top. You can see it. His doesn't. It looks just like the fastball, which is why he strikes so many people out. So he's a bit of a unicorn. There might be. 10 guys who are as gifted as him at that particular thing. But you see why hitters strike out so much. You see why sometimes you see those ridiculously goofy swings that they'll swing at a ball yeah. because they don't, you don't have a choice. You have to guess on one. And if you guess wrong, you're done. Now you can, I'm not trying to pick on Adam Wainwright, but last year, for example, you could really see the difference between his fastball and breaking ball. So if you can see it, you have time to react. You can anticipate fastball, but if you see the hump, you can wait a little bit and have a chance. With what you see in, in some of these better guys, you don't have a chance. One more question. I'm getting the scratchy eyeball from Rage because I'm going long again. <laughs> so uh, an, uh, an Adam Wainwright curveball, yep. and, and you are a really good hitter, and you see it coming. Do you swing at the ball or do you swing where you think the ball's going to end up based yeah, on that curve? Good question. It's the second one. You've got to figure out where you think it's going to be when it gets to home plate. That's where you go. Because that's what the hitter's trying to, pitcher's trying to do. Adam Wainwright's trying to get you to swing at that curveball when it's belt high, but it's going to finish at your knees, right? So he wants you to do that. The same thing with the video on Tyler yeah. Glass now. So you see it, the curveball's coming. Yep. 
and it's at your belt, yep. but you're going to swing at your knees. Yep. And even if you see it, and even if you know it's coming, sometimes you still can't hit it because it's such a good. It's pitch. still a guess. Yeah. No, and it's also even if you know, even if you guess, Wayno Wayno's throwing me the curveball right now. Like when he was at his best, when he was, you know, when he was not last year. Last year was a little rough, but I mean, like even a couple years ago, he could you he could tell you I'm throwing a curveball now, and you probably still only have a twenty percent chance of making good contact. So cool. Yeah. Uh- 225 DGS. Those are great stories. Uh, Andrew, you miss out on all the <laughs> the fun. I know. I always do. <laughs> so Wheels played D1 uh, baseball at uh, Miami, and he said that he got to catch Jim Palmer, who is a Hall of Famer. Already in. This is after he's after in the, he's hall. In the yeah. hall of Fame. Look up Jim Palmer. Yeah. He's like the prettiest woman you've ever seen. He is a good looking dude. Yeah. And you got to catch him? Yeah. So he he was already in the hall. And he wanted to make a comeback with the Orioles, so they gave him an invitation to spring training. And their spring training wasn't far from Miami; they were in Fort Lauderdale. So he was working out with us, and they—I'm just sitting there on, you know, pre- before practice. And the coach is like, "Wheeler, get your gear." I put my gear on. I jog down, and it's like Jim Palmer standing in the bullpen. I'm like, "Oh, this is great." No idea how big this guy was. <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh, he even outside of baseball. Oh my! Yeah, he was. He was. I mean, he's known outside of baseball for the underwear, underwear ads. ads. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, like he would just billboards. Oh, now she's awake. Yeah, <laughs> I'll show you one of the ads, Rach. One of the, just billboards of him. Don't look up how many people are in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my real purpose on this show is Japan <laughs> But it was a, it was an interesting. I mean, it was like such a cool experience because I had never caught anything like that. Yeah. And uh, he was super nice. He was really friendly. Uh, couldn't have been more uh, like just down to earth, nice dude. And he showed me the first major league curveball I ever saw. That's why I was teasing, telling you about. Like yeah. he throws this curve. I'm, I'm down. I'm thinking I'm going to look awesome for Jim Palmer. And he tells me signals he's going to throw a curve. He throws the first curve, and it looks like it would hit a right-handed hitter in the shoulder. Like that's where it is when he lets go of it. I'm like, I start to stand up. Like I, uh, you know, when my high school pitchers threw it like that, I had to stand up to go get it, and it finished at my shoe tops. Like, that's how much it broke, and I looked like an idiot and fell to the ground and caught it barely, and he starts laughing at me. He's like, it's a curveball, kid. Mm. I'm like, I know, Mr. Palmer. Never seen one like that before. <laughs> <laughs> but super dude, man. Really, that, that was cool. And then, oh, what is it? Probably 2013, I saw him in spring training. The Orioles were playing down there. He was visiting uh, Roger Dean Stadium. So I, I walked up to him, introduced myself. There's no way he remembered like me specifically, because yeah. we only talked a few times. But I I brought that up and I told him that story and he loved it. He's like, he's like, first of all, I don't remember that. I'm sorry, but I do remember the comeback. And he goes, and that was a really big mistake. I should never have done that. <laughs> Did he come back? Well, he got the spring training and he got a hamstring injury sure. pretty early, and then I've that had was those. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People couldn't see. I put air quotes up. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, like you know, at the time he was he was in his mid 40s, probably maybe even like closer to 47, 48. Anyone come back that late no, successfully? No. Nobody's ever come back after being in the hall. Necro, did he? He pitched that long. Yeah. You know, Randy Johnson pitched pretty close to that long. Roger Clemens pitched close to that long. Ryan? Nolan Ryan pitched that long and was they all those guys were throwing 97 when they were 45 years old. Right. Jim wasn't. Good stuff. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Welcome back, DG Aslan KMOX. So a lot of the way I do my show prep and uh, plan for my show is just I look at everything, and I'll see an article, and I will screenshot it, and I'll send it to Andrew and say, hey, possible guest. And I saw this one. Here's the headline. As a scientist, I didn't believe in psychic powers. Then I experienced something that changed my life by Jeff Torrent, a PhD. And I was like, get this guy. Just whatever you do, just get this guy. Uh, could not be more in my wheelhouse and in yours, Wheeler. Uh, and he joins us now, Dr. Jeff Torrent, director of Neuromeditation Institute. Doc, uh, pleasure to meet you. Uh, yeah, nice to meet you, too. Thanks for having me on. I understand you're a local boy. Well, I, I was. Uh, now I live in uh, Eugene, Oregon, but mm -hmm. spent most of my life in and around St. Louis and uh, Columbia, Missouri. Very cool. Did you go to Mizzou? I did. I got all my degrees at Mizzou. Nice. Go Tigers. Very nice. I have a son who graduated from Mizzou and a daughter who's a freshman at KU, so my family's fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That should be a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to throw you the softball. I'm fascinated by the article, fascinated by all of your work. Just tell us your story. Yeah, I mean, it really starts probably about 11 or 12 years ago, and I was actually working at uh, Mizzou at the time and um, had the opportunity to measure the brainwaves of a, a woman live, who lives there in St. Louis, who uh, is a psychic medium, but kind of had an interesting experience and started speaking these languages that she didn't know what it was. Turns out, after some uh, digging that she was channeling these South American tribal languages. She had no idea what she was saying. And I had the opportunity to measure her brain when she was doing this. And that really just opened up a huge can of worms in terms of introducing me to a whole world of psychics and mediums and channelers and ESP and telekinesis and energy healing. And so really, I've just kind of been looking at this ever since. Hmm. Doc, what did you see that surprised you in the brainwaves? Uh, the main thing that I saw was this activity kind of in the, the back right quadrant of the brain that it almost looked like a seizure. Uh, it was just, it shouldn't have been there. And of course, this was happening while the person was just having a conversation. Uh, well, she was speaking these languages and, but she wasn't, you know, she clearly wasn't having a seizure. And so when I really dug in a little bit, like what area of the brain is this? Uh, it's an area that in the media gets referred to as the God spot. Mm -hmm. And it, it's called that because people that are able to shift that activity down in that area report having more spiritual experiences. Mm -hmm. So including things like seeing deceased relatives or having some sort of visions or other kinds of things that we might think of in relation to like mediumship or spirit communication. 
I remember, uh, so I got a psychology degree back uh, in the 80s, and I remember even back then them doing experiments of stimulating the brain and people thinking that there was someone beside them or having yeah. what would be what would commonly now be referred to as an NDE. Uh, just, just fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and that's... You know, and of course, that a lot of that research, they were looking at the same area of the brain or in that same vicinity. And so, you know, that's some of the work we've been trying to continue is, are there other ways to stimulate the brain that can assist people in developing these abilities for themselves? And... And I know I'm asking a lot of ultimate questions like, duh, Dave, this is why I'm doing my research. But does it appear to be that there are certain individuals the same way that people have a talent for playing guitar, piano or for languages? Does there seem to be certain people with a special talent in their brain for psychic type things? Uh, yeah, for sure. And And what it seems like is that people who are clearly skilled at kind of psychic or mediumship type abilities, they seem to have more flexible brains. They seem like they're able wow. to shut off certain parts, turn on certain parts almost at will, hmm. where the rest of us, you know, it might take some training <laughs> to learn how to get our brains to behave in a way to let that information come through. Uh, we're talking to D uh, Dr. Jeff Tarrant, a uh, local guy, got all his degrees from Mizzou, now the director of Neuromeditation Institute. Um, we also have a question. Yeah, I, I'm really fascinated, like Dave is, by the topic. How how are we coming along on this, right? We hear things about other scientific endeavors, like we've only mapped so much of the ocean floor, or we've only explored what a, such a percentage of the land mass of the world. Where are we with that when it comes to the brain and this particular topic? Yeah, not very far. Uh, you know, we're, it's really still kind of a new way of thinking about this. Certainly there's been research looking at the brain in different kinds of states of consciousness and different psi abilities. But, you know, honestly, we don't know much, which is, you know, why I've kind of been continuing this investigation is looking for, are there patterns that show up at least semi-consistently so we can understand what the heck is going on here? Uh, and if And if we can understand it, Again, can we use that information, right, to help other people who maybe don't feel like they have those abilities to kind of unlock it? I know, Doc, that you have been training with a, a Zen monk and learning to quiet your mind. Ha has it worked? And and if so, to what extent? <laughs> um, for my own practice, for my mm -hmm. own psychic development? Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of. And, and the reason I, I sort of laugh when I say that is because... I think being able to quiet your mind is a big part of this. Um, but another aspect I think that's really important is learning how to spend more time kind of over in the right hemisphere, right? So the right part of the brain is much more experiential. It's much more of just taking in what's happening in the moment without interpreting it or analyzing it. And of course, my background is as a scientist. And so I spend a lot of time thinking and analyzing and interpreting things. And so uh, the trick seems to be, can you not do that? Can you can you just let the information come through without creating an additional narrative? And so even though I can quiet my mind down, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's still these other aspects of flexibility that I'm still learning to develop. 
So I, I know that one of the questions in science in general, brain science, philosophy, is consciousness. It, it happens to be what I'm most fascinated by. If I go home after the show, I'm going to watch something or read something. And people who will say microtubules, people who will say you know interaction at a spooky di- uh, uh, distance. I saw a guy, I think a lot of last night, who was really simple. He's like, no, it's just a function of the brain. When you need to deal with the ac- external world, you have consciousness the same way you have sight. And then when you don't have to deal with the external world, you lose your consciousness and you go to sleep. Kind of where on the spectrum uh, do you fall? Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really, I really think about the brain as being sort of a filter for consciousness hmm. and that, you know, there's a whole lot of information out there. And really what I mean, Aldous Huxley came up with this, you know, way back when in the 40s or whatever, of kind of talking about the brain as a reducing valve that, you know, it really limits information and it limits what we can perceive. And so the way I see it is that, you know, this is both helpful from sort of navigating the external world and getting by day to day. But then obviously, if we want to access additional states of consciousness or information, then we have to like shut that sucker down. That's so fascinating, Doc, because as a limiting valve, so I've never done a hallucinogen, although I really want to, uh, but I'm afraid, you know, for for obvious reasons. But people who do, you know, mushrooms or MDMA or things like that, and they see these things and they'll say, oh no, it's there. I just feel like my brain had closed those windows. And when you said limiting valve, that really struck a chord. Yeah. And actually, there's a lot of similarities in some cases between what you see in the brain with psychedelics and what you see with certain mediums and psychics. Uh, and really what it is, it's exactly that. It's it's shutting down the brain's ability to limit information. And so it, it's a it's actually a commonality between the two of them. Um, and so I, I do think there's actually a lot of overlap and, and actually use of psychedelics in some cases done appropriately, et cetera. Um, can sometimes help unlock some of these abilities for people. Yeah, I know that when Matthew Perry passed away with ketamine in his system, a lot of articles were saying that it was setting back uh, therapeutic ketamine, uh, which is another thing I've always been very fascinated by. I'm completely open. Like, if something will make me feel better and be better, and I know that in the past they had used it, and and uh, it, that currently people were trying to uh, to use it therapeutically as well. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, it's it's something that we do in our office. We work with ketamine with people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because some of the experiences that people have in in a ketamine state, uh, it, it is it's almost like you can get to a place where you have no awareness of your body, but you still have a consciousness. And it's almost like you can peek behind the curtain of the Wizard of Oz and see how consciousness and, and energy operates and how it sort of runs the universe. And so, you know, again, kind of having some of those experiences can be really powerful in terms of having an understanding and a felt sense Mm -hmm. that we're much more than just this physical body. I know I'm I'm putting you through your paces here, but I have one more question. I don't get to talk to enough guys like you. Um, I saw with great interest a few months ago that a gentleman died uh, while getting, I guess, an EEG and that his brain activity spiked 30 seconds before he passed away and 30 seconds after. And I've always been fascinated by near-death experiences. What did you make of that? Just your gut. 
Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because there's been other research showing that as well. And those spikes were in the gamma frequency, which is the fastest brainwave frequency that we can measure at this point. And so that's really interesting that you got these giant spikes of really fast activity. But it's but those that activity, that gamma activity also shows up during lucid dreaming. It shows up during psychedelics. Uh, it shows up you know, during some of these really high level states of compassion and awareness that you'll see in like Tibetan monks. So it's interesting that this big burst of gamma is showing up kind of at the moment of death or, you know, shortly before, shortly after. Mm -hmm. And to me, it suggests that gamma might be involved in sort of expanded states hmm. of consciousness, if we want to think of it that way. Just, just, God. This is fascinating. <laughs> Utterly fascinating. Uh, Dr. Jeff Tarrant, Director of Neuromeditation Institute. Jeff, where do people find your work? Uh, they can find me at, uh, we have a couple of websites. One is uh, psychicmindscience.com, and that's more of this work. And then uh, neuromeditationinstitute.com, which is more geared toward meditation for mental health benefits. Very cool. Great to meet you, brother. M-I-Z. Hey, Z-O-U. All right, pal. <laughs> Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Tell you guys about ThrottleNet. How cool is that? That was really good. Right? That's fascinating stuff. That's like exactly all we do. That could be <laughs> that could be an hour. Yeah. Oh my God. Easy. Hmm. There you go, Dave. Super Idea cool. for a podcast. Yeah. Right? Two fifty-three DGS. We're just talking off the air that uh this can sound like a strange thing to say. <laughs> but like I'm just I'm not in love with life. Like when people, uh, you know, like uh, restrict their calories to 200 calories a day so they can live to be 125, I'm like, I'm good. I, or when they're going to freeze their brain and come back like, I'm okay. I don't know if I want to do this again. <laughs> and that sounds darker than I meant it to, but I, I think people know me pretty well. Um, but one reason I would like to live another hundred years is to see the stuff that we know. I know. That kind of stuff. The stuff that Dr. Torrance working on. I would I would love to uh you know, I want to be there when they find Bigfoot. I want to be there when aliens land. I want to be there when, when we, we get to Mars. Consciousness. Yeah, yeah, when we land on Mars. I guess that's why I have kids. You know? Yeah. That, that, uh, at least my kids should see that stuff. Yeah. And then I made it weird and said, I want my brain to be downloaded. Yeah. And then Rachel goes, that's not possible. Yeah, Rachel's like, yeah. she's like please so don't do that. <laughs> that may be the most you've ever shut someone down on something great. huge. It was great. She's, she's like, like, I, I kind of want to freeze my brain for eternity. And Rachel's like, that's dumb. Yeah. That's you can't do that. They, they could never capture your soul. We don't understand <laughs> that yet. <laughs> I don't have a soul. I'm a ginger. There would just be true. like thousands of frozen brains and just one would just be kind of raging <laughs> like we don't know what's up with this guy this one will not cool down he this died one. in 2065 and he's been doing that ever since it's in the jar just like pounding against the walls the clinking jar. against the one next to him <laughs> this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey! 
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 